Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. God did not reject his people whom he foreknew. Don't you know what scripture says about the passage about Elijah? How he appealed to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left. And are they trying to kill me? And what was God's answer to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 who have not bowed to the knee of Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What the people of Israel sought so earnestly they did not obtain. The elect among them did, but the others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear. To this very day. And David says, May their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see, and their backs be bent forever. Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome to any of you who are here visiting with us. And for those of you who might be at home watching, welcome to you too. You might have noticed that the reading wasn't up there this morning. I had a little hiccup at the back in dealing with the PowerPoint. So in order to get the PowerPoint up there, we had to forego the, the reading. Um, I can't explain it all, but Scott at the back rescued us, and he had it all figured out, and he took care of it, so that's, that's good. Because I really wanted to have the PowerPoint with this, with this lesson this morning. So in the verse that we looked at uh, for our reading this morning, and in our lesson last week that we looked at, Paul gave arguments for and against whether God had rejected the Jews. Did God really turn his back on the Jews? Well, Paul was an Israelite. Paul was a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Jew. He was a Jew that was saved. And that's his point. No, God did not turn his back on his people. I'm a Jew and I'm saved. And that's his point. And so he was not saved because he was an Israelite physically. He was saved because he was an Israelite spiritually. God had not rejected his people. Paul was living proof of that. So God brought the gospel to the Gentiles. That is to say, anyone who was not an Israelite, who was not a Jew, in order to stir the Jews up, to make them jealous so that they would return to God. And that's what God tried to do. And some did turn back to God, but some did not. He had not abandoned them. He didn't turn his back on them. And the Jews needed to hear that. So God rejected any Jew who rejected Jesus as the Son of God. That's who God rejected. They could still be his people. They could still be Israelites spiritually if they accepted Jesus. So now we come to our text this morning, which is in Romans chapter 11. If you will turn there with me and follow along, we're going to be looking in, in chapter 11. We had the reading to verse 10. We're going to be looking at verse 11 down to verse 32. And let's start by reading verses 11 to 15. Again, I ask... Did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches 
will their fullness bring. I am talking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle to the Gentiles, I make much of my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So the Jews' rejection of the gospel, the good news, became riches for the Gentiles. It's riches for us because the gospel has been preached to us and we grabbed hold of it. And we get to look forward to heaven with our creator. So then Paul turns his focus to the Gentiles here. He turns away from the Jews and now he's talking about the Gentiles. Before that, he had been talking about the Gentiles all that time. Well, Paul made the claim that he was the apostle to the Gentiles in verse 13. His own people didn't just reject the Messiah, the son of God in the flesh, but they rejected Paul as well. Think about it. He was a Jew. Here he was. He tried to reach out to his own brothers, the Jews, and they reject Jesus and they reject Paul. They don't want to hear him. They don't want to listen to him. Being a Christian sometimes means that we will have to face rejection from our own family, rejection from our own friends. Being a Christian can be difficult sometimes, and Paul knew that all too well. And Paul knew the joy of following Jesus, though, as we do. And Paul knew the rewards that were waiting for him, as we do. And that's what we look forward to. We look forward to those rewards. We look forward to the joy that is waiting for us in heaven. We must remain faithful. We must not give up. So because of the Jews' rejection of the gospel, the good news came to the Gentiles. Now, I'm sure Paul's situation was strange to him. He was comfortable with the Jews. He considered them brothers and sisters. Now he was rejected by them, and he had to preach to the people that at one time he was uncomfortable with. Imagine, here he is. Think about how well-trained he was. And think about how he was constantly with the Jews and was constantly talking with them. He approaches the Jews. They want nothing to do with him. He finds himself in a strange situation. He finds himself preaching to the people that he used to avoid. How strange is that? People that he was uncomfortable with. And again, there's a lesson there for us, too. It's a reminder. Sometimes we need to get out of our comfort zones and preach the gospel to people we might feel uncomfortable with. And we need to be careful. We, not, we need to be careful not to have a face like this. Because if we are around people that we're uncomfortable with and we're looking like that, it's obvious they're going to figure it out very quickly, right? We have to be careful. I know that's a pretty sour face there, but oh yeah, we have to be careful. We have to be careful with our attitude when we come to preaching to people we might feel uncomfortable with. We have to get out of our comfort zones. We have to preach the gospel. The gospel shows no favoritism, and it needs to be, be preached to everyone and anyone. It shows no favoritism. It has to be preached to everyone. So we need to be careful. So Paul really wished he could bring some of his own countrymen to Christ, but their hearts were hard. And we're going to encounter that too. From our family, our friends, our co-workers, people we dearly love, we're going to have a hard time trying to reach them. So Paul said that if the Jews' rejection is the reconciliation of the world, then what about their acceptance? Because the Jews rejected the good news, the gospel is shared with the rest of the world. For those Jews who accepted the good news, it meant life from death. In other words, it means spiritual life for them, because at that time they were spiritually dead. That's what their acceptance means. 
So that is the promise for us as well. Spiritual life. That's what we get to look forward to. Physical life is limited and temporary. Spiritual life is forever, and we get to live that life with the one who created us. That's what we get to look forward to, and we need to think about that. We need to remember that as Christians. This life is temporary. This life is not going to last, but the next life is forever. We will one day be reunited with our Creator in heaven, and I'm looking forward to that day, and I hope you are too. Take a look now at verse 16 of Romans chapter 11. If the part of the dough offered as first fruits is holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. So Paul used this analogy of dough and the root and the branches. In the first, if the first Jews who, who first responded to the gospel were accepted and pleasing and holy to God, then any Jews who obey the gospel thereafter will also be pleasing and holy to God, even though they rejected Jesus in the beginning. Think of Paul, good example. He rejected Jesus in the beginning. Later on, he accepted Jesus. Jesus is the holy root, and therefore anyone attached to the root is holy. So any of us who have been attached to Jesus are holy. Just like Paul's audience, anyone who has obeyed the gospel is in Christ, is attached to the root, is acceptable and pleasing to God. Take a look at verses 17 and 18 now. If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do not boast over those branches. If you do, consider this. You do not support the root, but the root supports you. Branches would be the Jews who fell away, responding to the gospel. We are now a branch on the vine, and the vine is Jesus. So back to verses 17 and 18, a stern warning came from Paul. He said that the Gentiles were not to boast over the fallen branches. If so, they were to consider that the root supports them and not the other way around. Jesus is the root. Take a look at John chapter and listen to what is said in these verses. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And so here Jesus refers to himself as a vine. And here and back in our text in Romans chapter 11, he refers to himself as the root. Jesus is the root. Jesus is the vine. The Lord said that he is the vine to which the branches are attached to. The Lord is talking about the spiritual connection, not necessarily the physical connection, but the spiritual connection attached to Jesus. So let us never think that Jesus 11, so that I could be grabbed. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So Paul made it clear that the Israelites' connection to God had been severed due to unbelief, and that the only reason they, his audience, was grafted in is because of faith. Because of faith. Because they believed the good news about Jesus. 
and they came to him, and they accepted Christ as Lord. Paul is saying, don't think that God played favorites and that he removed some that you might be added. Faith and belief added you. Paul then said, do not be arrogant, but be afraid. They had to be reminded of who they were. Because God will not spare anyone who disbelieves, it was said. They shouldn't think that what happened to the Jews can't happen with us. We shouldn't think that that can't happen to us. That we can. They will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? So the good news for the Jews was that they could be grafted in, as long as they did not continue in that disbelief. If they accepted Christ and they came to him, they could be grafted back in. That means they had to believe the good news and repent and obey. So salvation started with the Jews, as, as Jesus said in John 4.22, to the Samaritan woman at the well. The Jews were the natural branches. They were the cultivated olive tree. They were the called out ones for the world, God's people from the beginning. They were pruned. They were cared for by God. The Gentiles were not God's people, not until the Jews stopped believing. And that's what he's talking about. That's the context of what he's talking about. The Israelites stopped believing, so the good news came to the Gentiles. But they could come back. The Israelites, the Jews, could come back and be grafted in. They could be God's people once again. Verses 25 to 27 now. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them when I take away, specifically said at verse 13, I am talking to you Gentiles. He's still talking to the Gentiles here. That's his audience. The mystery Paul referred to was what he just spoke of, the rejection the Jews' rejection of Jesus and the Gentiles being added to the kingdom. And, of course, the gospel that was preached. The fact that Paul said, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery means it's something that they could know, something that had already been revealed to them. I don't want you to be ignorant of this, something I have already told you. And so Paul had just finished talking about the Gentiles being added to the church due to Israel's hardening of the heart. Paul was saying don't be ignorant of this mystery, and don't get conceited either. Before you get too proud, understand that God is still showing mercy to these people. You are not the new Israel, and they are the old. That's what Paul is saying. You're not the new Israel, and they're the old. God didn't make everything new and completely wipe things out with his old people. They can still be saved too. Don't get arrogant. Don't get proud. When Paul said, all, and so all Israel will be saved, he's referring to spiritual Israel, right? We've talked about that in a previous chapter in Romans. Paul made it clear that salvation was and is available to anyone who is willing to accept Jesus as Lord and obey the gospel. Gentiles needed to hear that salvation originated with the Jews. The gospel coming to them was proof of God's mercy. The Gentiles didn't do anything to deserve it. They needed to be reminded of that. Don't get arrogant. You didn't do anything. God did it. So then Paul quoted two passages, and I want us to look at those two passages. The first one is Isaiah, chapter 59. I want to look at verse 20. And take a look at what it says. The Redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. So notice that Isaiah says the Redeemer will come to Zion. 
But Paul said the Redeemer will come from Zion. So here it says to Zion. Paul said from Zion. And so when Isaiah said it, it was prophecy, something that would take place in the future. When Paul said it, it had already taken place. It had already been fulfilled. So the Redeemer did come to Zion, and it came from Zion. Jesus came, and Paul was showing that this prophecy had been fulfilled when he quotes this here, and he tells the audience. You might remember what God changed Jacob's name to? Israel, right? So if you replace Jacob with Israel, then it helps us to make sense of it. And that's what Paul is talking about, the Jews, the Israelites. And so Paul quoted Old Testament prophecy to show that forgiveness would come to the Israelites or the Jews, as well as the Gentiles. He's making it clear to the Gentiles that everybody is going to be forgiven. God made it clear that forgiveness would come to all. So take a look at the second passage now, Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 33 and 34. And here we read these verses. I'll just read off the screen. It's a little easier. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Notice back in the text, he says, And this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. But you notice... In this text, in the Old Testament passage that he quotes, it says, and remember their sins no more. There's a little bit added detail there. And that's important. Sometimes we forget that when we respond and obey the gospel, not only were our sins forgiven, but they were remembered no more by God. He doesn't remember them. It's as if it never happened. They were blotted out. And so, as Christians, sometimes we allow our past to come back and haunt us. Sometimes we allow sins from the past to pull us back down and make us feel guilty all over again. And Satan will use that against us if we let him. So we, we have to realize that God remembers our sins no more when we've obeyed the gospel. So why do we? Why do we go back to it? Why do we revisit it? There was a, an expression I had used one time, and I liked it. And, it's, and it goes like this. It says, don't look back. You're not going that way. And I like that. That makes sense. Don't look back. You're not going that way. You're going forward. And that's kind of what I'm saying here. Don't let the sins of the past pull you backwards. God has already forgiven you of those sins, and he remembers them no more. We must realize the great mercy God has shown us. Christians are forgiven people. We need to remember that. We need to tell ourselves that. We have been forgiven. We are forgiven people. So now verses 28 to 32, the, the last of the, the text, and then I want to bring up a few things. So as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as the election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. Just as you were at one time disobedient to God and have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience, so that he may have mercy on them all. So Paul said that the Jews who reject the gospel are to be considered enemies, but they were at one time, they were the loved people of God, and they began with the patriarchs. So Paul said they are enemies for your sake. Enemies for your sake. In other words, because of their rejection, God said, 
no more, I'm going to bring the gospel to you Gentiles. And so they became enemies for the Gentiles' sake. Because the Jews rejected Jesus, they became enemies of God. And in so doing, the gospel came to the Gentiles. So we see a reversal. The Gentiles were once disobedient to God, and the Israelites received salvation. Now the Israelites, or Jews, were disobedient to God, and the Gentiles received salvation. So things had completely flipped around. But God's gifts and call are irrevocable, which means it can't be changed. It can't be reversed. God will not deny any Jew who repents and obeys the good news. And that's what's being said here. It's still available to them. God did not turn his back on the Jews. That is still available to them if they just accept Jesus as Lord and come to him. So God shows his holiness and righteous judgment so that people will see their sinfulness in order that his mercy is shown and seen by all. Let me say that again. God shows his holiness and righteous judgment so that people will see their sinfulness in order that his mercy is shown and seen by all, by everyone. God doesn't want people to be far from him. He doesn't want you to be far from him. He doesn't want to be separated from his creation. He loves what he has created. He was pleased to create man and woman, and he wants all people everywhere to come to him and worship him, to honor him since he created us, to acknowledge him since he is the one who still takes care of us. Can you imagine if you created a human being What would you want? Wouldn't you want to be acknowledged as the one that created that human being? Wouldn't you want to be loved by your creation? Think about how God must feel when people turn their back on him, when people don't want to know anything about him. Imagine how that would feel, right? So there's a few things that I want us to take from this lesson today, in addition to some of the application that we had going through it. First of all, God is able to save us. We who are the Gentiles, the wild olive branch through the gospel of Christ. God's grace is amazing. We always sing this song, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. God's grace is amazing. But do we appreciate God's grace? Do we really appreciate God's grace? Do you remember what grace means? I I brought it up in past lessons. Grace means the undeserved love and mercy of God. It's what God has shown us that we have not deserved. He showed us love and mercy. We did not deserve it. The uh, original Greek, the Greek word charis, is translated as grace, but that's also translated as gift in other places in Scripture. So God's grace is a gift to us. We don't deserve it. So God sending Jesus was God sending his love and mercy. I think as Christians it's important for us to think of Jesus in this way. Jesus is love. Jesus is mercy. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, as the Apostle John said in John 14, 6. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. These are things that we need to remind ourselves constantly. The second thing I'd like us to take a look at, and it connects with the first point that I just made, which is God's grace is amazing. How far does God's wonderful grace go? How far does that grace go? What happens if we fall away? Can we come back? Will God accept us, or will he turn us away? For those of us who have obeyed the gospel, we are a branch that is able to be grafted in if we fall away. Think about it. These In this text, as Paul was talking about, he's talking about those who are God's people, the Israelites. And he's talking about they can be grafted back in. In the same way, that blood of Jesus continually cleanses us. If we truly repent, we can be grafted back in. That's the grace of God. 
That's the wonderful grace of God, that he's willing to be quick to forgive us if we truly repent. True repentance is required for God to graft us back in if we fall away. God loves us so much that he will forgive us when we stumble and we fall if we truly repent. Jesus is the one who makes all that possible. He is the one who died to make it possible. His blood continues to wash our sins daily. And the final point, it's not something that jumps out at us from the text, not immediately, but when you read the text and you study it deeply, you can see it. Jews had become far from God because they created a system of self-righteousness based on the law of Moses. We talked about that many times. And so their worship became vain, is what happened. Well, God wanted their hearts and their minds, and God didn't have it. It wasn't there. They were breaking the first and greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And they did not work on their relationship with God. And that's what happened. Vain worship, because they didn't work on their relationship with God. They let it fall apart. Well, today we have lots of different relationships. We have a relationship with our spouse. We have a relationship with our children. We have a relationship with our friends, our co-workers, etc. We have lots of different relationships. And so we need to realize that sometimes they are not as close as we'd like them to be. And so we work on those, and we shouldn't give up on them. Well, what effort are you putting in with your relationship with God? As I say, that's not something that jumps out at you immediately from the text. But think about it. The Israelites didn't work on their relationship with God. What effort are you putting in with your relationship with God? Are you constantly working at your relationship with God? Are you investing at least as much time with God as you are with your spouse, with your children, with your friends, etc.? Are we in danger of repeating the same mistake as the Israelites? Not really taking our relationship with God as serious as we should? Is our weekly schedule too busy to fit God in? He wants our hearts. He wants our souls. He wants our minds. God should be first in our lives. That's kind of hard for us to grasp. But when we put it in that kind of perspective, we realize, yes, we're supposed to put God first. We should be thinking about God often. We should be spending time with God in prayer and through his word. And so to go with that, are you teaching your children to invest time in their relationship with God? And don't mind the dog. He just obviously wanted to be on camera there. So, But are you teaching your children to invest time, to invest time in their relationship with God? Are you starting with them from a young age and teaching them that they need to be thinking of God and they need to know him the way that you know him? Are you taking that time? with your children to do that. We have to teach them. We have to help them with their relationship with God. It's important. So let me end with this. Are you a branch? Are you connected to the root, who is the source of life? Have you obeyed the gospel, which connects you to Jesus? If you have not done that, won't you do that this morning? Won't you take a moment to come and speak to me or Chad or one of the elders? Someone. And do that today. Let's stand and sing our invitation song. Sure